Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're exploring the annual Year Ahead Report, the definitive outlook on the next 12 months, courtesy of the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO. Our panel of global experts will be on hand to explain why financial markets face a year of discovery as normal rates of growth and inflation return. We'll consider, too, how economic policy might respond after two years dominated by the effects of the pandemic. And, as ever, we'll consider some smart investment ideas for the next 12 months, from buying the winners from global growth to diversification to seeking unconventional yield. We start with a programme regular and a returning chronicler of events through the prism of the year ahead piece. It's Kieran Ganesh, strategist in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO here in London. Kieran, a warm welcome to the programme as always. A little context, first of all, Kieran, on the year ahead and two strands to my question, really. Firstly, remind us what the year ahead report is, what it looks to provide. And secondly, could we say in terms of the prevailing mood and shaping the landscape, we're no longer really talking about the third year ahead in which the pandemic dominates. Rather, it's kind of the latest year ahead of this new pandemic era. What we try to do with the year ahead report is to give investors the context that they need to understand what is happening in the world, what are some of the key drivers likely to affect markets and economies in the year to come, and then also provide the investment ideas that we see that emerge from that context, um, both over the coming year and over the decade and longer term investment ideas. So that's what we're trying to achieve. Now, obviously, the presence of the pandemic causes a lot of complication with that, because as we've all experienced over the past couple of years, events can move very quickly. And that's what happens when you're dealing with something which spreads exponentially, that things can look fine and then suddenly they don't look fine or, or vice versa. We think that now with the pandemic and the transition that we are going to make over the coming years is the transition from pandemic to endemic. The attitude to dealing with the virus to date has been how to manage the burden on healthcare systems. Governments have tried to do that by initiating lockdowns and restrictions. And we think that at some point over the coming years, we'll move to a stage which is more endemic and then the disease will transition to be something which is more managed in a way like cold or flu is managed. The question is, how quickly do we get to that point? And I think that's something which is a, you know, a key variable in determining the outlook for the years ahead. Well, Kieran, let's talk next a little bit about markets then. In the report, it talks about markets facing a year of discovery, which I thought was interesting because it's this idea that as normal rates of growth, normal inflation, with a few caveats, returns, that's what the process of discovery, I guess, is, that we rediscover normal. But just tell us a little bit about what that process looks like. And I wonder, can you reflect as well a little bit on how we should expect economic policy to respond after a period in which, as we've just said, the pandemic has been so dominating? You know, it might seem a bit strange to call it a year of discovery when we say that essentially we're going to at some point go back to normal and think, oh, well, we know what normal looks like. But the reason we've called it a year of discovery is, of course, that the world is 
is always changing every year. And it's changed particularly so um, in the past couple of years as a result of the pandemic and the changes that that has meant um, to people's lives and to the way that businesses operate. So we don't think it's that obvious what the new normal is going to look like in terms of economic growth, in terms of inflation, in terms of where people spend their money, what people's habits are in terms of saving. And with all of that uncertainty, I think 2022 is going to be a year when economic policymakers and investors are going to have to be recalibrating the way they look at the world as they adapt to what the new normal is going to look like. Broadly, we expect to see policymakers withdrawing a lot of the emergency stimulus and support and that they put in place to deal with the pandemic. But that brings with it risks because you know, they may underestimate the amount that the economy has changed and end up withdrawing too much stimulus. Or likewise, they might keep too much stimulus in place and trigger continued inflation. So there are risks on both sides of navigating this year of discovery and the return to normal. But we think that there are plenty of opportunities for investors amid that transition. Well, yeah. And so it's interesting to talk then about some of those investment themes, some ideas for the next 12 months as 2022 stretches ahead of us. Talk us through, Kieran, some of those things which could make sense for investors to think about during the year ahead. Broadly, we expect to see a year of two halves. Growth is starting the year in a very strong place as consumers spend some of the money that they've saved during the pandemic as some of that stimulus continues to have a positive impact on economies and on consumer spending. So we're expecting strong growth as, as we start the year and we think that should benefit some of the more cyclical markets. So the Eurozone and Japan are two cyclical markets we like and are relatively cheap compared to some other global markets. And we also like financials, commodities and energy equities also as markets which generally perform well when economies are performing strongly. But as we go through the course of 2022, we expect to see growth slowing and going back to a, a more normal pace of growth. And we think that should start to benefit healthcare as a, as a relatively defensive um, sector, which we think looks quite cheap at present, and also is exposed to structural growth. Things like aging populations, of course, support healthcare spending. So we think that balance of some of the more cyclical markets, but also healthcare as a relatively defensive market, um, is a good balance for investors in 2022 when they're looking at their equities portfolios. Yeah, and I guess, Kieran, what's also interesting then, and we've kind of alluded to this maybe by talking about the context of the pandemic, is how these longer term investment themes that you and I have often talked about and other colleagues in UBS have talked about, say, you know, over a, I don't know, a 10 year time horizon, you know, how many of those have been shaped or accelerated by the pandemic and by these other pressures? You know, if we look at areas like disruptive technology, we can see how much that process has been driven forwards. The journey to net zero, the conversation seems to have been shifted forwards at quite a pace by the pandemic. Has that changed then, you know, any of those longer term investment themes in terms of how you and your colleagues think about them? Or has it simply underscored how important they all were and continue to be? So I think the, the themes themselves have, have pretty much all been accelerated by the pandemic. There's almost none we can think of that have just turned on their heads. So 
Um, technology adoption has clearly uh, increased significantly. The focus on uh, sustainability and, and net zero carbon has, has increased significantly over the past couple of years. Even when people think about real estate, which is, is an area which you know, people often think, oh, that's changed totally as a result of the pandemic. Even before the pandemic, we were seeing you know, sort of less uh, interest in, in things like retail and, and office space relative to things like logistics and industrial space. And the pandemic has clearly accelerated that significantly. Um, but it, it's not changed the direction. It, that, that, the, the trend of a bit more working from home, a bit more online shopping was in place long before the pandemic has simply been accelerated. So we think the themes themselves have, have pretty much just all been accelerated. And where we've had to adapt is where do we invest as a result? Because the themes have accelerated a lot of the investment performance in some of these areas has also been accelerated. So we have to be a bit more adaptable as to where we look for investing. So to give an example of that in, in technology, we've seen really, really strong performance from a lot of the mega cap tech firms, most notably in the US. Now we're starting to look for some of the small and mid-cap technology providers, which may not be household names, but we think are some of the developing the technologies which are going to help continue to drive this transformation forward in areas like artificial intelligence, big data, cybersecurity. So we're just having to tilt some of the preferences within these themes to account for some of the changes we've seen in the environment. But we think the overall themes are very much still intact. I don't know how different the geographies look, whether we're looking at things like inflation or growth drivers or some of the thematics, you know, whether it's healthcare or this quest for the unconventional yield and so on. Does that backdrop look different if you're looking at Europe as against, say, the US or the APAC region? What's interesting about Europe as we enter 2022 is actually that it will be one of the strongest growing regions in the world in the first half of the year. Now, that's pretty unusual for Europe, which is normally uh, among the slowest. But because of the way that the pandemic has phased and the way the stimulus has come through, we're expecting to see Europe performing relatively well in the first half of the year. And we think that should support stocks in the region as we go through the year. When it comes to currencies, we see some divergence in Europe. We think the British pound is likely to appreciate because it's got relatively high rates of inflation and we think the central bank is going to have to increase interest rates to deal with that and we think that should support the British pound. But we are more negative on the euro and the Swiss franc because there we expect to see lower inflationary pressure and we don't think that we're going to see interest rate increases. So we've got some divergence in the currency space. As I said, on equities, we expect positive performance of the eurozone generally in the first half. Well, let's follow that European take from Kieran Ganesh with some perspectives from and regarding both the United States and APAC next. First, let's get the APAC view from Hartmut Issel in Singapore. Hartmut heads up the Asia team for equities in particular. Hartmut, welcome back to the show. This idea of a year of discovery, tell us how that applies maybe to the APAC region and how, how this idea of a year of discovery, whether it's, we're looking at markets or this year of two halves, is going to shape up where you are. Yeah, I think for uh, for Asia in particular, year of discovery, uh, a couple of yeah, also new normals like we have globally, but we have some region specific uh, new normals for sure. Maybe starting with Japan for once, where we also have an, an overweight globally on the stock market because we believe it is next to the eurozone one of the 
more cyclical uh, laggards this year, and uh, we have a new leadership there uh, and Prime Minister Kishida. So um, we're looking forward to this uh, fairly sizable stimulus pack, among other things. So that is uh, one. And then certainly, uh, I mean, the big uh, elephant in the room naturally is, is also China, where uh, things have been quite shaky, as we all know. Um, so both for the equity side, especially new economy, um, the geopolitics of it and also the uh, bond side, they um, are also sort of exploring a new normal, uh, although I will say also that we have a uh, increasingly also constructive view on these assets. Well, yeah. And, you know, China is so interesting. How important is it to look at the different scenarios, um, Hartmut? Because I know, you know, again, in the, in the piece, it kind of looks at, you know, upside and downside scenarios and a kind of central scenario as well. When it comes to China... What's going to inform those? Is it about, you know, things we know, the impact of the pandemic um, shifts or not in the regulatory environment, for example, Um, the Chinese growth picture? What what kinds of things are going to shape what China looks like in 22? Yes, absolutely. Um, One is the growth picture indeed. Um, Or or should I say, really the the sort of trade-off between um, taking or, or curbing uh, leverage in, in the economy, which is what certainly the property side, what we're seeing there is about. And naturally, if you have such a big sector and you're uh, trying to cap the leverage uh, growth rates, then that will have an impact on the real economy. And that is what we're seeing right now. So this is certainly one aspect where things are shaping. You also have regulation or what we call in China, Gong Tong Fuyu, or usually translated as common prosperity, right? So an, an, a new approach, a more hopefully equitable approach, which I think in general there isn't too much disagreement about, but then the way it has been sometimes executed certainly left uh, several investors also a bit uh, feeling that you know things could be more transparent. And we, we just saw at the works conference also uh, a couple of days ago that, that also China, I think, realizes right, for investors for investors in terms of transparency, it would be better to to give uh, and provide more of that. So that's a, a second one certainly we're looking at. And then the third one is geopolitics, where we thought, okay, maybe it's quieted down a bit. But if we look at um, you know what happens between, uh, and whether it's uh, Chinese stocks that are listed in the US, whether it's um, possible export restrictions that are now being reported to fall in place again, potentially um, between the US and China. So um, the geopolitics is also not as silent as one would hope. So yeah, I think these are the big three areas that also are staying with us in uh, 2022. Yeah, well, and just on the growth picture, you know, I guess we've had growth for for a a myriad of reasons above long term trend. And that's partly driven, of course, by, you know, it being this recovery from this, this extraordinary turbulent period because of the pandemic. How much do we have to gauge, you know, the the rate of deceleration of growth uh, and how much will that shape, you know, the, the scenarios that are going to unfold? Yeah, I think here, here it's very instructive to actually divide the picture a bit between um, China and indeed the rest of Asia. So China actually, yeah, you could say, recovered last year or, or early this year, I should say, uh, quite quite uh, quite rapidly right, in, into early this year and then started to slow, whereas actually the rest of Asia only sort of saw the recovery, including also exports uh, later than that. So there is, there is a bit of a divide happening uh, right now. Uh, but being China being the, the biggest, by far biggest economy in the region and also naturally the biggest stock market by wide margin, we need to look at what shapes up 
disappear in the process of deleveraging and therefore as a result also the slower economic growth certainly below trend um, that usually takes a couple of quarters. Uh, we wouldn't be surprised if um, you know it takes maybe towards the middle of next year for China to go back to trend growth. I think that's going to be a very decisive driver for the uh, also financial markets here in the region. Um, what about um, the questions that are going to be preoccupying central banks, um, Hartmut? I must ask you a little bit about this. And we've obviously been talking a great deal about inflation in, in recent weeks. And obviously, I know what the sort of base case is in terms of expectations for inflation to uh, begin to, 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 to track back down. But again, you know, there's a chance that it could be uh, more persistent in certain markets. What's that story going to look like? Again, I'm looking at it uh, through a regional lens, and here also we have certainly a, a very clear divide. I mean, starting with the Fed, uh, one of the more uh, hawkish, arguably, um, central banks, and, and, and what they're doing. And then we contrast that with, in particular, China, where arguably of, of all the really large economies, China is arguably the only one that uh, actually loosens the policies, not uh, opening the floodgates necessarily, we do not expect that. And that would also run counter to the idea of uh, keeping leverage in check. But nonetheless, the uh, growth has slowed down and the authorities realize that it may have slowed down more than uh, everybody expected. So um, in, in a very targeted ma- manner, uh, steering uh, against that. But nonetheless, uh, we, we, we compare many economies that are tightening. Some of them are doing nothing. But then we, we have uh, China as the only big one that's actually uh, on the margin loosening. Uh, now, Hartman, it's always interesting to look at what these discussions mean for investors in, ter- in terms of investment ideas. For And actually, this is what's always interesting about the year ahead, not just the next 12 months, but indeed the decade ahead. And obviously, this piece makes that, that point. And once again, you know, what's instructive and interesting is that so many of the ideas which will be super relevant for 2022 tie in, don't they, or overlay precisely with ideas that are interesting for for the decade ahead. If we look at, you know, um, the net zero transition or uh, disruptive technologies, the the continuing rise of of digital, is is it interesting that despite all of the uh, turbulence from the last, what now, couple of years, that's really underscored the fact that investors need to be mindful of these big, secular, longer term trends, because that is where the, the long term value still lies. That is very true. I couldn't agree more. And and he also wanted to share a bit the picture in uh, Asia. So when we look at, for example, e-commerce, these these really big platforms uh, so far, um, up until now this year, basically, we could we could have said that any investor is looking for for this kind of scalable platform um, ultimately has to uh, default back on on China. And while, while these platforms, of course, still still are there in China, and we think that they they look very very attractive valuation wise, um, we shouldn't overlook the fact that now in Southeast Asia and also South Asia, especially India, actually we are seeing some of these big platforms that previously were outside. Uh, the reach of, of investors, at least uh, stock market investors, are now coming within reach to some of the biggest platforms in, in, in these two regions, ASEAN and also India. They have already come and it's not even finished. So we, we do know that there are more of those uh, uh, coming to the market. So giving investors a lot more choice between the countries also within Asia. And then, yes, um, we, we see a very strong green tech economy also emerging um, whether that's battery makers, and this, this pretty much dominated the five biggest ones all sitting in, in Asia, whether it's solar, which is now 
pretty much on a global basis dominated by by China. I mean, the upstream solar. Um, so you have a lot of interesting uh, areas here. And then also, last but not least, even um, cars, battery electric cars. I mean, we know some of the American vendors. We know the legacy vendors also from, from Europe, for example, catching up. But it's not so perhaps outside Asia widely known that also within the region we have complete startups, complete new, very, very successful, gaining rapid market share. So we have all of it. Hartmut Issel in Singapore. And a final perspective on the Year Ahead report comes courtesy of Salita Marcelli, Chief Investment Officer, Americas in UBS Global Wealth Management. Salita, let's just jump in with, I guess, bringing things up to speed and moving them on actually a little bit from from the Year Ahead piece itself and the big themes that that paints for for 22. Um, Obviously, you know, in sort of mid-December, we got, you know, new statements from the Fed Inflation, of course, in particular, which is such a key theme. It's been a key narrative for the last few few weeks and months. Um, in terms of factoring in those more recent remarks from the Fed into your, your overall uh, reading of the situation, how does that help you frame or, or reframe expectations for, for 2022 as we move forwards? Uh, in terms of from the Fed, you know, obviously what the Fed did... Um, in the mid-December meeting was, you know, pretty much match the market's policy expectations, right? The, you know, Fed announced that it would double the pace of tapering to 30 billion a month, wrapping up quantitative easing by mid-March. Uh, obviously, this was expected. Uh, the committee made significant changes to its assessment of inflation and employment, uh, noting that high inflation was likely to persist well into 2022 and the economy was making rapid progress uh, towards maximum employment. And of course, the new dot plots, um, which they put out, which is which basically maps out policymakers' expectations for where future interest rates could be headed, um, suggested significantly higher expectations on rate hikes than their last meeting, uh, indicating now three rate hikes in 2022. And that was almost exactly in line with expectations in the future markets before the meeting. So we do think, you know, Fed Chair Powell. Um, you know, sounded obviously more hawkish, um, you know, during the press conference. He acknowledged that it might take a lot longer for the labor force participation rates to pick up, signaled a shift towards more emphasis on the unemployment rate, which is already near the Fed's longer run estimate of 4%. And this is really an important shift because if you set aside the labor force participation rate, the labor market looks pretty tight on other metrics like job openings, quits rates, and so on. So overall, you know, you know, as we think about 2022, I believe Fed meeting um, we just left behind in December puts the path on a, you know, puts Fed on a path to rate hikes next year. Uh, the economic forecasts for GDP growth, inflation, and employment rates are well above what would be needed to justify rate hikes. And in line with the dot plot, we do expect Fed to um, raise rates at a gradual pace of 25 basis points a quarter. So that's our expectations for Fed in 2022. Well, yeah, and I guess through then 22 and indeed onwards into 23 and, and, and beyond, if we look at the growth outlook over that kind of time frame, I don't know, what, what do those potential rate hikes mean for that, of course? We've got this sort of flattening of the, the yield curve. I don't know, how, how does that shape or, or reshape the view going forward? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously we have seen the curve flatten well before the Fed meeting as the market you know, brought forward its expectation of rate hikes. Um, the market was really front running the Fed. So when the meeting happened and we saw the outcome, you know, the curve really actually didn't flatten any further. In fact, we got some steepening 
And we think we could see more steepening in the near term. Uh, in the long term, say, you know, the second half of 2022, heading into 2023, we could see some flattening, but we're not there yet. And we think the market is basically getting too ahead of itself. Um, look, I think, you know, the, while the short end of the curve is clearly responding to policy expectations, uh, on the long end, you know, we think there are other factors at play, right? As Powell said, um, we, and we talked about a lot in our research, there's been, you know, strong demand for U.S. Treasuries, given the very low yields of other global sovereign bonds. So there is a cap on where Treasury yields can go, despite our strong growth outlook. Uh, we see the 10-year U.S. Treasuries at a yield as about 2% in 2022. Well, yeah, and that might be the fixed income picture. What about equities, um, Slita? I should ask you a little bit about this. There's obviously, there, there are lots of concerns. Look, you know, it might be the, the, the latest wave, the latest variant of uh, the, the pandemic, these inflationary pressures, which we just mentioned, rate hikes again, which we've, which we've also talked briefly about. W- what is the US equities outlook um, for, for 22 in your view? Yeah, so look, we think economic growth should remain well above trend in 2022, even as the Fed you know, begins to tighten. Um, so it's not going to be as accommodative as, but, as it is now, but it's still going to be accommodative. So in terms of the equities outlook, look, we have, obviously, we have a you know, large allocation to U.S. equities in general, strategically. Uh, but at this point, globally, um, you know, we have most preferred status in our asset allocation on Japan and Eurozone. So U.S. is not one of our tactical preferences uh, in the short term. But that said, we continue to expect solid returns from S&P 500 in 2022, and that's driven by strong consumer and business spending. You know, while Omicron remains a risk uh, to our outlook, all the information so far seems to support our base case, which is that the variant will prove to be no worse than Delta and that the economic impact will be limited. So we expect that progress on vaccinations and the availability of new antiviral treatments for COVID in 2022 will allow normalization of the economy to continue. So S&P 500 companies, Tom, have really demonstrated remarkable resilience in 2021, despite inflationary pressures and supply chain issues, uh, thanks to very strong revenue growth. We expect supply chain bottlenecks to improve over time, uh, but they still remain a wild card. Clearly, S&P 500 earnings growth will slow from the very strong almost 50% pace in 2021, but growth should still be higher than ever. So what I will say is that, you know, finally, even with this accelerated taper, we need to remember that Fed, like I said, remains very accommodative. The Fed funds rates are still near zero. Um, It's unlikely that even three interest rate hikes over the next year would dent the outlook for corporate profit growth. Historically, stocks have risen after the Fed starts hiking, although the pace of gains will likely depend, of course, on the speed of the rate hikes relative to the strength on the economy. So we still stick with our year-end 2022 S&P 500 price target of um, 5,100 at this time. Now, I, I put this to, to Kieran and to Hartmut earlier, uh, Aslita. It's always good to get a sense of what all of this means for investors, that picture that you, you've painted for us. And, and you know, it, some uncertainties endure, uh, despite maybe a little more clarity, as you say, around things like growth and inflation. Just one or two thoughts quickly on, on how investors should then position, given that we do expect some more turbulence and volatility ahead, perhaps. Sure. So uh, if our base case on Omicron holds, we expect 2022 to be a year of two halves, right? with the first half delivering above trend growth and the second half a slowdown in growth and inflation. 
as the economy normalizes. So um, it is possible that the winners in the first half are different from the winners in the second half. Right now we have a preference for cyclicals, though we also recommend adding some defensive exposure uh, via healthcare in order to position portfolios for a slowdown in the second half of the year. Uh, we like, you know, we prefer mid caps and value stocks. And then at a sector level, Tom, we prefer consumer discretionary, energy, financials, and healthcare, which I mentioned earlier. Um, in, in fixed income, obviously, we're still, um, you know, uh, cautious there. Um, real yields are still too low, and we expect them to grind higher. Um, it, that's why we're cautious on sectors that are closely tied to their performance, like, you know, tips. We prefer a barbell approach favoring senior loans and CMBS. Uh, while keeping investment-grade corporate bonds as least preferred. In general, we, we like commodities. We have a, you know, s- s- a strong preference for oil. Um, and obviously, this, I just talked about the public markets right now, but we also see opportunities in the private markets as well, in both credit and equities as part of our asset allocation. Salita Marcelli. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. In the meantime, you can listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.